May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people of God joined and said, Amen and Amen. I had a totally different sermon title for today that I'd planned in my sermon planning before the end of the year. And earlier this year, in talking with Kate Honeycutt, our youth pastor, she, she and I were talking about calling, about God's call. That's our theme over these next several weeks, call and response. And she shared with me how at Camp Willow Run back last fall that the theme was calling. And one of the evenings, I guess it was, that they were there, the youth got in small group, and Kate gave them an assignment to do one-word prayers, and just to go around as the Lord led and share their one-word prayer. And Kate told me about one of our students whose one word was awakenings. And I knew that I needed to change today's sermon title. And I wanted to find out more about how that came to be. And she said, well, it's Sophie Jones. And so I got in touch with Beth. Beth's right there in the front. And Sophie, if you could raise your hand. I know that you'd hate that, but I want to thank you for sharing with us. And uh, talk to them about sharing a few of Sophie's thoughts. And so she sent me a text message and said that I could read it today. Hey, this is Sophie. I chose that word during the one-word prayer because retreats and other church-related camps, to me, are a time of spiritual awakening. During retreats, you're spending the entire weekend trying to find where God is acting in your life and connecting the stories of the Bible to our everyday lives. I find it hard personally to remain connected to God as much as I am at retreat during normal times, like school and other non-church-related activities. Whenever I go on retreat, Sophie writes, I instantly feel something click and am eager to fully, myself, fully immerse myself in the lesson we are learning over the weekend. So I suppose I chose that word, awakenings, in particular because reawakening is a part of every retreat I attend. And I am reminded against, again, hence the awakening of how much God is calling us to do the right thing, and to help those who are less fortunate. Thank you, Sophie. May your words encourage us as we seek to hear the voice of God and awaken our spirit to His will. So young or old, we are all part of the body of Christ. We are called into a relationship with God, and we are called to serve God and beyond. That was what we said last Sunday as we begun the, began the new year. We are called to an awakening. I don't know about you, maybe you have felt overlooked because you were young. Maybe people thought you were too young to do something in church. Or maybe some of you feel that you are left out. Or maybe some of you feel that you are too old to serve, that you've outlived your usefulness, and it's time for someone else to do it. I've, I've been there and done that, and I, I just need to take, take a step back. 
Maybe that's your own self-evaluation, or maybe that's someone else's unbridled opinion. But whatever it is, you feel less than useful, maybe as a young person or as an elder adult. Today we're going to see how God used a man named Eli who felt useless, felt that he was beyond his years, to do an amazing thing in the life of a young person, to help him respond to the call of God and set him on a road uh, to a life of service that we still talk about some 3,000 years later. The story began with a man named Elkanah. He was very faithful to the Lord and traveled to the tabernacle at Shiloh year after year to worship and to make offerings to God. His wife was named Hannah, and she was just as faithful. However, if you've read the story, Hannah experienced deep sadness and, I believe, journeyed through what we understand today as depression because she was unable to have children. And back in that context and culture, a woman's identity and value were directly attributed to her ability to give birth to a son who would be the heir to the family and carry on the name. And she agonized in prayer to God because she could not experience that. Her husband tried to console her, but he He couldn't understand. The writer of 1 Samuel reports that one day after she had worshipped, Hannah left the house of God with a hopeful countenance. There was finally some good news. After all those failures, Hannah and Elkanah would celebrate the birth of a baby boy. And they gave him the name Samuel, which means one who has heard of God. When Samuel was about three years old, his mother and father agreed to dedicate him to a life of service to God. This was their way of giving back. I cannot imagine how difficult it must have been for Hannah to take young Samuel to Eli and to give him to a life of service and then only to come visit when they came to worship. Hannah told the priest Eli, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I have asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. These verses have particular interest for my family, significance for our family. After Melanie and I had been married for 14 years, God gave us our daughter, and Melanie and I welcomed Isabella into this world on March 30th, 2004. We never thought we could have children, and God blessed us with a daughter. When we dedicated Isabella to the Lord, verse 27 was her dedication verse. And we gave her the name Isabella, which comes from the Old Testament, Elizabeth, which means consecrated to God. Every time I read this story, I am reminded of how our story connects with God's story. Well, Samuel grew, and the priest Eli would have been teaching him the scriptures and the stories of old, stories like the Exodus out of Egypt and crossing through the Red Sea and 
One night when Samuel was about 12 years old, for us a, a seventh grader, everything changed. A young boy would hear the voice of God. But he didn't know it at first. The scripture tells us that he didn't know God at that point. Was it God, though? And an old, weary man would be called to intervene. Let me read again those first few verses of chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was, and then the Lord called. The setting was Shiloh, about 28 miles north of Jerusalem. After the Israelites settled in the land of Canaan, Joshua instructed the people to take possession of the land, and they set up the tabernacle of God, also called the tent of meeting, here called the temple of God. It was established in Shiloh, and it would remain there for several hundred years. Although it is called temple here, it was still a portable tent, a tent of meeting. The tabernacle would not come until many years. The temple would not become many years until Solomon. During the years in the desert and the conquest of Canaan, the Israelites carried this house of God around with them uh, everywhere where God led them. And when it was put up in, in Shiloh, it ended up being more of a permanent structure. And there were some other buildings attached to it, including the sleeping quarters for priests like Eli. We gather from Scripture there in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, that Samuel's sleeping quarters were closer to the most holy place where the Ark of Covenant of God was housed. And Eli slept in his usual place in a joining room farther from the most holy place. The narrator of Scripture also tells us some important things here. That the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. The people had distanced themselves from God. They were not following the ways and teachings of God. And then verse 2 says, Eli could barely see. Not only was he aging, but perhaps this is a way for us to understand that he had lost his spiritual vision. That he had become far from God. And then verse 3 says, the lamp of God was almost out. Perhaps this means that Eli had not been fulfilling his responsibilities in maintaining that lamp that was supposed to be shining 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It was to be, remain, to be filled with oil and burning all the time. Maybe for it not to be burning or, or as it should or nearly out, uh, Eli had let things go. Perhaps he was not being faithful to his priestly responsibilities. All of this tells us that the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel was in shambles. There was no word from God. God had not been speaking because the people had not been listening. And not many visions, meaning that people had not been hearing as God had spoken in the past. One writer states, quote, The spiritual condition of the nation of Israel is represented in the spiritual condition of the priesthood. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And Eli's sons were a prime example. He had let them 
go and do whatever they wanted to do, and they were not representing the Levitical family at all, the priestly family. Perhaps that the location of Eli's sleeping quarters being farther from the most holy place is also another clue that he had let things slip and that his relationship with God was waning. And then the Lord speaks. Twice Samuel goes to Eli and says, Eli, uh, what, what do you want? What are you saying? And Eli tells him to go back to his quarters. A third time, Eli realized that maybe this is the Lord calling the boy and instructed Samuel on what to do if it happened again. And it's easy for us to beat up on Eli at this point, however. After all, he was a priest. He had devoted his entire life to serving God. And as best as we understand, God had never spoken before audibly to a child. It was always to an adult like Noah or Abraham, Abram or Moses or Joshua. So it took a while perhaps for Eli to realize that something totally new and unexpected was happening here. And then God speaks a fourth time. And Eli had instructed Samuel what, on what to do. And the Lord gave him a message. The problem was the words were words of judgment to Eli. Could you imagine, as a young 12-year-old, hearing words of God that were to judge the one who's been mentoring you your whole life? I can't imagine what that would be like for him. But he was to give words of judgment to Eli because of Eli's wicked sons and that he had fallen down on his job as a priest. Eli was afraid, uh, Samuel was afraid to tell Eli what God wanted him to say. And then Eli basically says, listen, Samuel, you've got to shoot it to me straight. Just, just tell me. And it's kind of like years ago when I was in the insurance business. I was a claims adjuster. And our management always wanted us to negotiate face-to-face with the attorneys. And I had inherited this case from my predecessor and went and made an appointment with attorney Marshall Williams. He was a state senator. I sat down in his office and sunk down in the chair. I'm convinced that he had a platform underneath his desk and chair because he looked down at me. And I tried to negotiate with him, and he said, Mr. Lee, do you want it with the bark on the tree or off the tree? And I said, the bark off the tree, Senator Williams. And he told me what he was looking for, and we settled the case. I believe that Eli told Samuel, give it to me straight with the bark off the tree. And that's exactly what Samuel did. And Samuel had to reveal the judgment that God would bring on Eli and his sons and household and priesthood and to all Israel. Soon as he grew, Samuel would be recognized in all Israel as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord would continue to use Samuel. We know that he would be the last of the judges, a prophet of God, officiated in the tabernacle as a priest where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. He would raise up Samuel to anoint both Saul and David as kings, which would usher in a new era in Israel. So what can we learn from these awakenings that Samuel had in the night? 
What can we learn from this story of an inept priest whom God would not speak to, but instead made a prophet of his apprentice? Four things, four awakenings for us. If you're taking notes, it might help to to jot them down. One, the question simply, what awakens you in the night? What awakens you? Pay attention to it. One of the things that awakened us in the night is often where God is trying to show us where to serve. He wants our attention. Maybe it's a difference to make or a need to to meet. I I often call it a, a feeling of holy discontent where something is not right and God is calling me to do something about it. Sometimes it's just a gut feeling. One of my mentors told me uh, some years ago, Bob, you need to be able to discern those gut feelings. You need to be able to do the good spiritual discernment work so that you can sense whether it's the voice of God or bad pizza. Pay attention to what wakes you up in the night. It may be that God is calling you and pointing you in a direction He needs you to go. Number two, Awakening, number two, every generation has a call of God. As I said earlier, God spoke to seventh grade Samuel. We must not underestimate our responsibility to the spiritual formation of our children. What you saw happen earlier in the worship service where our first graders got their Bibles and are being taught how to read the Bible for themselves is so powerful. And we pray that they will continue to grow and learn as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. Had it not been for Samuel's parents, in particular his mother, he would have not been in the tabernacle in the first place. Had it not been for you, your children wouldn't have been able to come here to this place today. It is vitally important that we take an active role in the stewardship of the discipleship of our children. Sometimes Sunday school teachers don't know if they're making a difference But year after year, Sunday after Sunday, they teach, they show up, and they do what they're called to do, and then they're able to see God at work in a a young person. Maybe it's at camp, maybe it's in a worship service or in serving in some way. But every one of us members is responsible to help to equip the next generation to be disciples who serve Christ in this world. Third awakening, do not underestimate the value of your failures. God used Eli in the midst of his failed life as a priest. He had fallen off of his responsibilities and it was manifested in the way that his sons were behaving. And God used him anyway to help raise up the boy Samuel who would be the one who would anoint Saul and then David as kings. None of us are too small or too experienced or too old and incompetent to be used by God for big and important work. In fact, God seems to delight in calling ordinary people with lots of failures to do extraordinary things. One writer says, we can lose sight of the long line of biblical women and men who followed God, even changing history despite blemishes on their records, flaws in their character. Somewhere along the way, the rhyme overtakes our reason. We forget that history is filled with God using imperfect Broken people to accomplish His will and to bring glory to His name. And the fourth awakening is that we are ever mindful that intergenerational ministry is a beautiful thing. We need one another. As you heard Chris 
sharing her testimony. John and Krista, thank you so much. Uh, we need one another, and the world needs us. One of the strengths of this church is that we have people of all ages worshiping here, learning here, growing here, serving here. We are one family intergenerationally. We can learn from one another. Paul said to young Timothy, never let someone look down on you because of your youth. I'm so thankful that we have children of all ages in our worship services and that they can be part of the greater family of God and that we value intergenerational ministry, intergenerational worship. There's not just a bunch of 30 and 40 year olds here in the sanctuary today. And if you go out in the parking lot, there's all kinds of different kinds of vehicles. We are not just a bunch of four-door sedans. There are a lot of Buicks, right? And we're not a whole lot of Mini Coopers. We've got Mini Coopers and Mini Vans and Buicks. See what I'm saying? Look in your parking lot. It helps you see who's coming to church. I'm glad that we have an intergenerational congregation. We worship and learn and serve together. How is God calling you? The story of the aged Eli and the young Samuel reminds us of what can be if we listen to the voice of God, if we allow God to awaken us to his calling. How will you make a difference in the next generation here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church and beyond? Do you have your listening ears on? Will you do the good work of discerning the will of God, the voice of God, over against bad pizza. When God does call, and when you are certain that it is God calling, will you say, here I am for your servant is listening. Pray with me.